This last week, we had our first start for North Point. I noticed none of, the, none of them were cheering that time. Uh, obviously, they're still doing their homework. But uh, we had our first week. We had chapel. Pastor Aaron Colago, our campus pastor, led, uh, led us on Sunday morning. Um, and this theme that we have this year at North Point is this, living in the shadow of Pentecost. In essence, what does it mean to live in the shadow of Pentecost in this new reality? And we are really excited to uncover what that looks like. And one of the themes that we realize, one of the pillars that it means for us to be in Pentecost means that we engage in missions. And what we have here is a book called High Adventure in Tibet. This book is going to be for sale outside in the foyer. You'll find a spot at the North Point booth. You're going to see this. It's $15. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of money. For other you, you're thinking, that's not too much money. For you who thought it wasn't too much money, I'd encourage you to buy it for the people who thought it was a lot of money. And so, but I want you to understand that we've developed a partnership with, with David Plymeyer, his family, his father. This is the story of the first missionary into Tibet. He was in 1908. He was there. Um, it's his story there until 1949. David now is 92 years old, 91, 92 years old. He's still a beloved friend and mentor. But he's given North Point Bible College a unique relationship, and he's given us all the printed copies of these. And he says, I want you to sell every one of these for $15 because every dollar has to go to the scholarship fund for North Point students. Because as you know, at North Point, one of our goals is to create a cost-effective education that's rigorous and that actually equips our students to minister and be a part of the church ministry and also the marketplace ministry in this next generation. And we want to see people get there debt-free. And this is yet one more missionary, one more man of God who has partnered with us in North Point to say we believe in the mission, we believe in the passion. And what's amazing, and I mean, you talk about the timing of God. I want you to look at this. You guys got these missions-giving things right here, this faith promise form? Look, look, look at this. It's a perfect bookmark. The, the Lord knew that it was going to be a two-for-one today. And I want to encourage you as you are praying this upcoming week, and we're going to talk about missions a bit more, but as you're praying this upcoming week, would you go grab one of these books? You can read it. It's a wonderful read. You're going to see the hand of God moving. Because some things about Tibet I want to let you know. And this isn't a spoiler because there's a whole lot in this book, but it was 16 years before Victor saw his first convert. 16 years of faithful ministry until he saw one convert. What's amazing about this is that Hudson Taylor, one of the world's greatest missionaries to China, is noted as saying this, reaching a Tibetan is like going into a cave and trying to steal a cub from a mother lioness. And this is one of the greatest missionaries throughout China. He almost assumed that the work and ministry within Tibet is it's impossible. But here's the great thing. Our God, he's dealt with lions before. And those aren't cubs of a lion, those are children of God. And he's calling people, and he's sending people. And North Point and you have an opportunity to be part of that. So please, I'll remind you at the end of the service, but please grab one. You can read it with your family. It's easy. You'll have it done by next week. And I'm going to tell you what. If you don't know what you should do for missions, read this book, and you will be challenged to do something more than you've ever done. Now, when Pastor Sam asked me to speak, I asked him, I said, what do you want me to speak on? He said, share your ministry. And I thought but what do you want me to speak on the rest of the 30 minutes? Um, you know, because my ministry has kind of been in one lane. It's been in missions. But what's great is I didn't even know that today was faith promise. So buckle up because, man, this is the Lord. It's going to be good. 
And I believe right now, if you're comfortable, I mean, some of you, you have the app, and there's some notes there. Make sure you have it open. I believe you need to get a pen and paper, because I believe the Spirit of God is going to challenge your heart today. Not with anything I say, but what I say might cause the domino to what he wants to say. And I want you to write that down, pray about it, meditate on it, and allow that word and spoken thought to have its work in you. So be sure to be faithful to do that and be ready for it. Now, a little bit about myself. Of course, my wife Kayla, Abby Easton, my son Kingston's and the other, we've been here now just for a few uh, months, and we're loving this. But a lot of you haven't had a chance to shake hands, get to know. So I'm gonna get to, you're going to get to know me, but just let me get to know you in time is all I ask. One of the things that's unique about us is I'm a third generation with the Assemblies of God. My grandfather and grandmother served in Africa, Haiti, and Belize. My parents, who are here today, they served in the Philippines for over 16 years with feeding programs and orphanages and other aspects of compassion ministries. That's where I was raised. And then, of course, myself and my family served in the Himalayas in China. Uh, our city was about 8,600 feet high with a focus among Tibetan peoples. And we had the privilege to have uh, one of your own pastors come and be with us for a season. Pastor Meredith Barnes was with us for a bit. And uh, she was a co-leader in our city. It was great to have her. And when COVID hit, our door closed. Pastor Meredith came back here. And so we decided to come be her co-leader, um, switch it up a bit. So we came here, and it was just a great, great thing the Lord's done. Um, but growing up in the church, if, if you've been here, and this is a 90-year uh, institution here at, at Grand Rapids First, you're probably fluent in Christianese. Like, you know how to speak Christian really, really well. If, if you know this, if you can get through this building without getting lost, that means you know, you've been here for a while. And you're probably fluent in Christianese. Because me and my wife are still getting lost, to be honest. I mean, the scariest thing is when i got to find a bathroom in this place. Because I'm, I'm in countless hallways, and, it's, and I'm just praying, Jesus, lead me. Take the wheel. Um... But, you know, if you're Christianese, it's what we've been comfortable with. And we develop really good sayings when we talk about them. One of the great sayings that I grew up with, and I've actually preached on it, God forget, forgive me, uh, because some of these Christianese statements aren't even true. But they are said so often, no one questions them. Let me give you one of them. God is seldom early, but he's never... Wow, you guys have been here a while. You know it. You know what's great about that is it's absolutely a lie. But we say it kind of, it's completely not true. But see, because the scripture says God is perfect in all things. Galatians says this, that in the fullness of time, God stepped in. See, God doesn't even exist in time. He exists outside of time because there's only one who is eternal, and it's God. And what happened was, God looks at time and he's like, and now. And he steps perfectly into time. See, God is never early and never late, but perfectly on time. Perfectly on time. Another one that I grew up hearing, and I wonder if Pastor JP, me and him have talked about this a lot of times, and I wish he, he was visible so I could point him out in case it goes bad, um, was, and this is one that is kind of like the fingernails on the chalkboard for me when I hear it. And it's that if God calls you, he will qualify you. And that one isn't completely false, but it's a little oversimplified. Because the reality is, is when God calls us, God's call puts us on the path to developing our qualifications and skill sets. It's not an abracadabra and done. 
It's a, I'm going to call you, get ready. We're going to learn how to do this thing. And I mean, let's look at David. David has a moment. Samuel shows up. He's in the shepherd fields. And if you grew up on the flannel graphs, you remember all the little stories, all the little cutouts. Samuel shows up, pours the oil, anoints him. And that, that is a setting apart, a call that he set apart for what God has for him. And you know, after that point, he has what? Goliath is the next story. He has a good one with Goliath. You know, the sling, rock to the head, cuts off the head. It's pretty gruesome. But then the song starts. David has killed his and Saul has killed his. Saul begins to hunt him. He flees. At one point, David is starving so bad that he's forced to steal the holy showbread to eat it. That'd be like breaking into Pastor Sam's office and stealing his Bible. You don't do it. He also flees to Gath and has to act insane to preserve his life to the point that he lets spittle run down his beard, acting insane in front of his enemies so that they'll preserve his life. He has to flee to the cave of Adullam. All this time, by the way, Saul is still pursuing him unto death. And not alone, he has marital problems. His wives are giving him an immense amount of trouble. He flees as a fighter within the Philistines, and the Philistines kick him out because they say, we really don't want the guy who killed Goliath also fighting for us too. His wives are captured by the enemy, and he has to go free them. It's not until Saul's death that David takes the throne. A lot of theologians believe it's almost 16 years from the point of anointing or being called to the point that he takes the throne. But see, those 16 years were so formative in David's life to make him the king that he becomes. Because he learns the plight of the lowly. He understands what it's like to be pursued unto death but have to rely upon the great protector. He understands where his true bread comes from. That if God is not the builder, we labor in vain. And this all comes after the call. The call only initiates this process. And one of the things I've realized in my ministry, and if you've been in ministry long enough, you've encountered this, that people acknowledge, I feel called by God. I think God's calling me. And they encounter some resistance. And they all of a sudden start to question the call. Well, I want to remind you today that resistance builds resilience. And God will allow us to start to move into new territories because he has new things for us. And I want to encourage you, saints, if you've had the call of God in your life and you felt resistance, you felt at times what some would call failure. You felt, I didn't make it. Well, guess what? Go read David's story. Read Joseph's story. This is a common theme through Scripture. The call's initiated, and guess what? The road gets rocky after that. Because he's going to teach you how to drive on rocky roads. I love it because this resistance that God calls us into, it's there to build that resilience. There's words in Scripture that we often forget about. Words like perseverance, endurance. We like to talk about passion. And man, there's a passionate guy. And me and Pastor Meredith had this conversation many times overseas. Passion will get you there, but passion won't keep you there. You're going to have to have resilience. You're going to have to have endurance. 
perseverance. You've got to know how to, how to grab a hold of the plow and not look back and stay the course because you know he's called you. For those at home, it's the same for you. You may be experiencing the same thing. You've had that call and you've let it grow a little bit cold, a little bit stagnant because you saw resistance. Well, understand, that's part of the plan because something's good on the other side. If you are called to ministry, I can guarantee you one thing. If you're called into marketplace ministry, not just the office of ministry, but you've had a moment where you say, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. I mean, Jesus himself has that moment in Gethsemane, but he always falls back to the prayer, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because see, one of the biggest challenges of following the call of God is always learning how to submit your will for the greater will. It's one of the great challenges. I myself, I'm telling you what, I've had moments where I've wanted out. I've just said, God, if there's a way, please. And I wish, I really do wish that it wasn't, I wish it was like 15 years ago. But I'll be honest with you, it was in 2019. Kayla and I had just been asked to go start a new work in a city called Lijiang. See, I had served in Lijiang in 2003 for about six months. I was at a college called Jiao Yushuiyuan, the teacher's college in Chinese it's mentioned. It's actually the very place that Pastor Meredith studied too when she came to be with us. And when the headquarters asked me, when the leadership asked Trent, we want to send you back because we have no one there right now. I thought, me and Kayla prayed, we thought, yeah, let's do it. We had the passion, we had the good. We got this. We got this. God's with us. It's going to be good. And my wife had the brilliant idea and said, Trent, why don't you go out ahead of us? Find a house. Because when we have all of our luggage and the kids and we're in jet lag, that's not going to be a, a pretty picture. So why don't you go find us a place to live and then come back, get us, we'll all go back. And I thought, that, that sounds wise. Now, I wasn't taken into account I was going to go through jet lag four times. <laughs> but when I went over there, you know, I didn't really have anyone in the city. We were starting pretty much from scratch again. And I'm going to tell you what. I got beat to a pulp by the enemy. I was depressed. I was sad. I was with my wife, my family. I was being reminded of how hard and difficult this was going to be. It was just hard. I was, you know, I'm, I'm at night all by myself and I'd call her in the morning. She's getting kids ready for school and I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm, and I know when we bring them over there, guess what? I'm going to put my kids in a new school. I mean, at the time, my son was already in fifth grade. He'd been in four different schools. What that means is that dad had to learn four different types of math to help him with homework. <laughs> and when I'm Googling second grade homework on how to do it, as an educator, that's really demoralizing. I just got to be honest with you. And I thought, I can't do another math, God. I can't do it. I don't want to make my wife say goodbye again to her parents. I don't want to start and open a new house, a new city, new friendships, new relationships. And I, I'm just tired of fighting God. And I started to really, in the evenings, talk with God about things I assumed he didn't really take into account. Maybe you didn't take this into account. I just want you to think about this, Lord. Anyone ever been there? Come on. We got a lot of liars in this room, but come on. This is where they belong, though, with Jesus. 
I started bartering and dealing, saying, okay, God, here's the deal. What about three years? And then we're done. Okay, God. But it wasn't the kind of bartering Abraham did. <laughs> this was the kind of bartering Moses did, which is like, God, here am I, send Aaron. You know, that's my kind of bartering with God at this point in my life. And I was just really depressed. And there's something that we often say on our team, you know, in China. It, we'd always say this, that God works in community. The enemy works in isolation. God works in the light. The enemy works in darkness. So you need to check yourself. You need to check where you're being drawn. If you find yourself wanting to withdraw from everybody and just go have your pity party and go shut the shades and lock the doors, guess what? Not much good's going to show up there. But if you're in a place you're weak, guess what you got to be? You got to go find the people of God. You got to go find encouragement. You got to go find life. You got to put yourself in the fields that are growing. And here I am in a city all by myself, alone, and I'm thinking, Lord, oh, I'm in trouble. I need to find the community. And here's what I, I suddenly realized. Wait, I've got to take a bullet train four hours away. Two hours, there's a city. I know, the, I know some workers there. They're actually from Michigan. They're good friends. I'm going I'm to stop by there. And you know what? I'm a veteran missionary, and they've only been here six months. They're going to be, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to realize they're doing worse than me. I'm going to feel a lot better about myself. I'm going to feel great. I call him up and I said, hey, can I swing by? I got a day before I leave out of the country. And he's like, yeah, man, actually there's some stuff I really need to talk to you about. And I thought, I thought there would be stuff you'd want to talk to me about. You know, as a veteran, I'm here to help you, you know? And I remember I got off the train knowing like, good, I'm in a good place and with the community. And all of a sudden he says, Trent, I, I need to talk to you. I don't know what to do. And I said, what do you mean? He says, God's just doing so much good stuff. And I was like, he is, huh? Uh, that's nice. He goes, we even have this new convert. I said, oh, a new convert. Wow. You, six months. What do you know? New convert. Huh. That's, praise God. Praise God. At that point, my blood pressure was actually boiling over. And I remember I was just thinking, all right, be mature. You're the veteran here. They don't know how bad you're doing. And I, I said, yeah, let's go tonight. He goes, tonight we're going to go to a coffee shop. I want you to meet him. And I said, yeah, I'd love to meet him. There were some other people I was going to meet that night, other co-workers, and went to the coffee shop that night. And he said, Trent, Trent, come here, meet him. His name's Stephen. I said, hey, Stephen, it's good to meet you. And I mean, I was, I wish I was more, it's so great to meet you. I'm so proud of the decision you made to follow Jesus. You know, it's, it really is the best decision you will make in your life. I'm really proud of you, man. And right about then I got called into a meeting I had to go to. And so I went to the meeting Towards the end of the night, though, I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit. You need to go find Stephen and encourage him. I thought, okay, he's a new convert. He needs to be encouraged. I'm the veteran. I need to, I need to go do this. So I went and found Stephen one more time. I said, hey, Stephen, I just want to say again how proud I am of you, the decision you're making. It's not because I know you probably lost your family. I know your family's probably disowned you. And I want you to know this is your family, and we're here for you. He said, thank you, thank you so much. He goes, your name was Trent, right? And I said, yeah, Trent. And he says, I used to know a Trent. And I thought, hmm, not a very common name in China. Trent. I said, were they foreign? He goes, yeah, foreigner. I said, really? I go, where was that at? And he's like, it's when I lived in Lijiang. And I go, I used to live in Lijiang, and I just moved back to Lijiang. And he goes, it was back in 2004 when I was in college. I'm like, you won't believe it. I was in Lijiang in 2004. 
I was like, I don't remember a Trent. I remember a Susan. I remember a John, a Ray. I don't remember a Trent. He's like, it's when I studied at Jiao Yushuiyuan. And I'm like, this is getting weird. Because I was like, I studied at Jiao Yushuiyuan in 2004. And I do not remember a Trent. At this point, my friend is looking at us like, are you serious, guys? And all of a sudden, I look and I'm like, Stephen? And he's like, Trent? We start grabbing each other. We're jumping up and down. We're like, this is Stephen. He's like, this is Trent. This is Stephen. And we're, we're, we're acting like, just we're going crazy. I'm like, you don't understand who this is. And he goes, you don't understand. And the, the other missionary is like, I know who both of you are. I don't know if you know who you are. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is Stephen. I used to go into his room when he was drunk with his roommates and I would like clean. I'd be like, your room's a mess. You need to get your life right. And Stephen's like, you don't understand. This is Trent. He's the one that gave me my name. Stephen, that's my English name. He's the first foreigner I met. He's the first one who told me about Jesus. 15 years ago, this happened. In a nation of 1.8 billion people, the Lord knew I needed to learn something. And that is that when you put the seed and you water it, it's his. See, I was discouraged because I had never led anyone in the sinner's prayer. I was discouraged because I hadn't started a church yet. I was discouraged. But here's the thing. I've been planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering. And I'm like, when am I going to see growth? But the Lord just had me going ahead just doing this. And I wasn't looking back, not knowing that behind me there were other people coming. Because as I met Stephen the next morning, guess what I realized? There was 12 other people over the next 15 years that came and watered and planted in his life. But I trusted God with the seed. I trusted him with the water. And guess what? He controls the outcome. Because see, it says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, Paul saying this, I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. See, the work we're called into is not the outcome. The outcome is God's. The process is ours. And a lot of us get discouraged because we're not seeing the outcome. Well, you know what? That's his problem, not ours. The question I have is, are you engaged in the process? Are you engaged in the process? Whether it's foreign, whether it's local. As Pastor Tim said, are you engaged in the process? Now I know some of you right now, you're like, Trent, you don't understand. I've been doing this a while. I'm just, I am discouraged. Well, hey, I'm with you. And I'm here to tell you, it's okay. But I want to remind you what Luke says. He said this, this is Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. You know what I love about that text? He doesn't send people aimlessly. He sends them where he's about to show up. Thursday, me and my wife got the keys to our new house in Kentwood. Represent, come on now. Kentwood, here we go. Guess what? We're in Kentwood. He's sending us there. I believe Jesus is about to show up on, on Timberwood Drive. Young people, let me tell you what. Whether you're in Jenison, whatever place you're in, let me tell you what. If he sent you there, it's because he wants to show up. You're going to be there, and you're going to be planting, and you're going to be watering. But understand, Jesus is the one that's going to show up. North Point, let me tell you, same thing for you. 
Jesus is sending you to your home churches throughout the week to different relationships. That goes for you guys with your jobs. You got new jobs. You got new. It's not random. It's because he wants to show up in those places. He wants to show up. And he's sending you to start watering and planting, watering and planting, watering and planting. Because guess what? God wants to bring about the growth in our jobs, in our communities, in our schools, and in our homes. But we have to be involved in the process. The process. Right after this, I love it because Jesus goes into great prayer. He says, and he said to them, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. See, he's the Lord of the harvest. Our job is to be in the process of being in the field, doing things. He'll bring about the outcomes. But are we engaged in the process? Are we engaged in the process? See, God, the harvest is great. In our surrounding area here, in Michigan, North America, and to the outermost parts, to Tibet, to China, See, God's not worried about closed doors at all. You know, my family and Pastor Mary, we don't have a way back right now. We're here. I believe my ticket's been punched. But guess what? The seeds are still there, and they're still being watered by believers. And the work is going to continue because it's his work, not mine. It's his work. And that's the same true here today. COVID ain't going to stop it. Politics ain't going to stop it. We need to be involved in the process of his kingdom. Like the word that's talked today, we are not of this, we are of his. And we need to be involved in that process. I love it. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Ad is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the writer Roman is saying this, that you know, we have these, they got to hear if they're going to believe. And for them to hear, we got to send someone. And when they hear, isn't it true it said, how beautiful the feet. And I always struggle with that, how beautiful the feet, because I am not a foot person. Even if they're clean, get them away from me. <laughs> keep them away. Just keep them away. Amen. I got, got any followers of that one in the house. Here we go. You know. But what that really means is this, how timely the arrival of the one who brings the good news. Once again, we're back into that perfect timing of God into the now. And guess what? The time is now for here. The time is now for Michigan. The time is now for the world. And the time is now for GR first to not just say we're willing to pray about it, but we're willing to give and engage the process at a much deeper level than we have in years past. Because we believe his perfect timing is now. I love it. The three groups. There's the believers, that those who need to come into belief with Jesus Christ. There's those who need to go tell and preach. And there's those who need to send. You better identify with one of those groups because there's no other group. Because if you aren't sending, if you aren't going, that tells me, I don't know if you're believing. I'm going to back that gravy train back up. Because I think I lost a few of you. You better find your identity in one of those three camps. I need to become a believer. I need to become a sender. Or I need to become a goer. There's not another category of, eh, not for me. Well, then I have to question if you've actually had the first one to the fullest that he wants you to have. 
because that is who our God is. I know with this faith promise, this is such an important element of what God's about to do this next year. If you have these, I encourage you to hold on to it right now. Find it. Take a hold of it. I want you to be praying over this this week. I know for some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Trent, I really can't give enough. I, you don't understand. I get, I'm all for the sending and the going, but this isn't the right time. Finance. I mean, me and Kayla just bought a house this last week. Let me tell you what, I get it. I get it. And some of you are saying, I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to give enough to make an impact. Anyone ever feel that? Not until I get to $100 a month I can give. Not until $50 a month. Not until 1000 a month maybe for some people. Because that's when it makes a difference. Well, I'm going to say something I don't know if your pastor will ever say. Ready? What's the least you're willing to give? Would you be willing to do $5 a month just to be a part of the process? Or is that too little? What about a dollar? Would you do a dollar? Just get in the process. A dollar a month or is that too little? Just a dollar. Just get in the process. Start. And if you're saying, Trent, that's pointless. What's a dollar? What's five? That's pointless. That's too little. The need is too great. You know what I want to tell you? You're absolutely right. It is. But it was also very great that day when Jesus stood on the side of the mountain and looked at him on the 5,000 and said, we need to feed him. And there was a boy who had a few fish and a few loaves. And what he did was he put it in the hands of Jesus and over 5,000 plus were fed. So don't listen to the enemy when he says, what you got ain't worth it. It's too small. Don't give it. Because see, the enemy's biggest concern is this. You cannot put this into the hands of Jesus because if you put it in his hands, guess what? Miracles take place. Here's the truth. What matters most is not how much you give, but who you give it to. You know what this is? This is statement saying, I'm going to give it to you, Jesus. I'm going to let you multiply the little I have to meet the needs that you recognize. But I'm going to be in the process. I'm not going to wait till 20, 50, 100. I'm not going to wait till I bring value. I'm going to give it to you because you're the one that brings value. You're the one that multiplies it. He is the miracle maker. You know, we, we sang the song. I love it. Speak Jesus in the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Well, guess what? I lived in the mountains. It takes a lot to get there. And if we're going to speak Jesus on those mountains, we got to send people to those mountains. If we're going to speak Jesus to the streets, guess what? we got to send people to the streets. And how does that happen? Because we choose to give God what we have. Just the little we have. And say, we're going to trust you, God, to take our little and to multiply it.